The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. this in His name, and God's people said, Amen. Well, you're in Revelation 18, and uh, or you're turning there, and a uh, little uh, self-promotion here, if you will, not really, but Nelson and I have been working on the study guide this week again. We are doing a chapter a week, so we're trying to keep pace with these study guides a week. They're hard to do, uh, but we're uh, not going to cover verse by verse today. I want you to know that. We're going to do more uh, of some uh, themes through the book, uh, Revelation 18, but the study guide, and there's several of them out there, should be plenty enough for everyone, covers a lot more detail than we'll have time to go through today, because there's a lot of verses, as you see, in Revelation 18. I don't mind preaching that long, but your bottom and your, your heart and your soul probably don't mind, but your stomach does, and your family might for a while, too. And so we will be uh, covering what we can today, but these are out there on the rack if you want to grab one. And so what I'm going to do today, I'm going to have you stand, if you're able to, this morning, just a moment. But as you do, I want you to know, we're not going to read the whole chapter. We're going to read just a piecemeal because there's a lot of verses here. We'll be breaking those up systematically as we go through. So if you're able to stand this morning, will you join me as we read most of Revelation 18 as we come down to understand what God is saying to us today. We're going to take it through verse 9, or excuse me, verse 8, and then we'll pick up the rest of it as we go through our study. If you're visiting with us again, glad you're here. Thank you for being here. We have been in the study of Revelation since uh, roughly Mother's Day last year with breaks, and our goal is to finish this up uh, mostly through chapter 20 leading into Easter, and then after Easter through April, the rest of the book. So our title for the whole series is God Wins. No matter how you view this, God wins. Amen? And that's what it's all about. Let's read verses 1 through, 18, or 1 through 8, 1 through 9, chapter 18. This is ESV, God's Word, and it says, After this, I, John... Remember, John is receiving the vision and has for many chapters now another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And verse 2, he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. The merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then verse 4, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are as heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. So pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds, and mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. So, verse 7, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I said as a queen, I'm no widow, and a mourning I shall never see. For this reason, verse 8, the plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. This is not how you win friends and influence people at Happy Church Day. Welcome to Revelation, and this is where it's at. But this is God's Word. We believe every word of it. We believe it's true. I want to break it down today. Six signs of the coming judgment, and I want you to see those. This is a tough chapter. 
Not tough because it's hard to interpret. I think it's actually easier, if you will, than some of the others. But the contents of it just get tighter and tighter and tighter and more realistic as we go through these times. So will you pray with me? And let's go before the Lord and we'll jump in and uh, unmask what he has to say here as we do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, these verses are so clear, that dichotomy that exists in Scripture. You're either for you, Lord, or against you. You're either for the Babylon of the world and all the evil systems and all they represent, or you are those who are called out not to, to, to get the, our feet muddy, as it were, in the sins of this world. Father, we know we're not perfect. We know you're the only perfect one. But Lord, help us by your grace, through your spirit and your strength to walk that narrow way, for broad is the path that leads to destruction. Father, these are tough words today, as many of them have been in Revelation. It seems to be beating a, a proverbial drum over and over and over again. But Father, that's what you've warned us to. For your very son said in his very first sermon, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come, we pray with John. But Lord, help us to be ever diligent and diligent, whatever you want to call it, to give you the glory and to see people shared the gospel and to grow missionaries and to just take the gospel to every nook and cranny until this time comes. Father, we pray all this today in your name for your glory. And all God's people said, amen. Maybe seated. Thank you. Well, in the ancient city of Babylon, which may have looked something like this, this is an artist's rendition. It was described by the Greek historian Herodotus, and it was unmatched in its splendor. But if you could fast forward to what the Bible describes in Daniel chapter 5, the writing of the, uh, or the, the handwriting on the wall section, and then about 538, 539 BC, there was something that was going to happen to the city, and the city was about to fall. The city was fortified like a rectangle or a square, depending on your interpretation, by 56 miles around, 56 miles. To put that in perspective, that's roughly from our location here at Tower View. If you took 435 and eventually hit I-29 up to St. Joe-ish, that's roughly 56 miles. That's how wide the city was. And with that, it had enough to race chariots four lanes wide on its top. Can you imagine that? I'm thinking about 435. We have three lanes on this side. We'd have to steal one from the other lane just to make that happen. That's a big city, isn't it? But one night, as the, as the Babylonians were getting ready to be taken over, the Persian army was at their doorstep. They threw a big feast. You can read about this in Daniel chapter 5. And there was no way to get in. The walls were so thick, it was so well protected, that the Persians had to find a way to get in. So what did they do? You see that river up there in the picture? That's the Euphrates River, or the Missouri or Mississippi of the Middle East. And what they decided to do as the Babylonians inside the city, knowing their doom was coming soon, were partying it up. All the guards were drunk as skunks. Everyone was, was celebrating one last night, one last party, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. They decided, the Persians did, to divert and moat out the river so that it would no longer be by the city. And as the guards were skunk drunk, all the river water was channeled out another way. And you know how the Persians got in? They just literally walked right through the gate. Not the main gate, but the side gate. And within a couple of days, the Persians had defeated the great Babylon city, and the great Babylonians fell just like that. It's amazing how quickly something great can go away, isn't it? That is history 101. And friends, this was sudden. But I want you to know, as you just heard in Revelation 18, the very system that is Babylon in this world is going to fall in the exact same way. 
there is coming a day when the world is as secure as it can be, reveling as they are and doing everything the world does, that everything is going to fall and it's going to happen suddenly, it's going to happen swiftly, it's going to happen soundly, it's going to happen so seriously that nothing will be a surprise to us. But to the world's eyes, they'll say, how did we get here? And friends, that's exactly what God does. He works in surprising ways to bring about his glory. I want to quote you Daniel chapter 5 and what God told through the prophet as the city was getting ready to fall, the actual city of Babylon. He told King uh, Darius at that point, he said, but you did not honor the gods, you did not honor the God who holds in his life, your your life and all your ways. The city fell because they refused to honor God. And this Babylon we're reading about in Revelation 18 may be a literal city, it may not be. I take it as a a symbolic system across all the world. But the fact of the matter is, someday, everything this world trusts in, everyone they trust in, is going to fall. And as a Christian, that should make you say, amen. Because that means Lord Jesus is coming. And he's right behind all of that. And the big idea today is simply this as we look at Revelation 18, is to flee to Jesus because judgment is coming. Flee to Jesus because judgment is coming. You know, we often laugh at those guys that have those sandwich board signs that say, the end is near. They're out at the plaza sometimes, and you're like, ah, that guy's funny. He's weird. He's crazy. He's demented. But he has something right. The end is near. Friends, when the world looks all the same and everything seems to be going along as it did, so it was in the days of Noah, Jesus said, but it was when they least expected it is when God pulled the plug and all the water went down the drain. And so it is with this world. And so today, I want us to see six signs of the coming judgment. Six signs of the coming judgment. And I want you to know if you're a Christian, you are secure. Would you look at chapter 17 and verse 14? If you haven't underlined this yet, I'm going to make you underline it right now. Well, I can't make you, but I really hope you do. Chapter 17 and verse 14 from last week, do you remember what it said? It said, They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are three things. You are called, you are chosen, and you are faithful. Two of those God does, one of those by his grace and his spirit and his strength, you live out. He who endures, Jesus said to the end, will be saved. So as you look at chapter 18 and you see everyone crying over this world, you are founded in verse 14 of chapter 17. You are okay. You are secure. There's nothing that can take you away from his love. So as we look at these six signs, I want you to remember that. If you're truly a Christian here today, This world may take you out, they may require your life, but you are safe and secure as Christ is safe and secure to the Father and the Godhead, the Trinity. And you need to know that. If you're not a Christian here today, we're so glad you're here. There's going to be some things in here for you, but I want you to know that you're either for Christ or you're against Christ. So let's pick it up with that first sign today. The first sign that that we have is that, as, as we look at this, is that this judgment is surprising. This judgment is surprising. Just as the fall of the ancient civil of Babylon, they thought it could never happen. So the world is going to fall. Look at verse 2. Notice these phrases here. God says the great city will fall. Verse 2, it says, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Verse 10, we didn't read that, but I'll read it in full. says, they will stand far off in fear for torment. And alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour, your judgment has come. And then in verse 18, you see that word great used again. Verse 18 says, and they cried out and saw the smoke of her burning and said, what city was like the great city? 
It appears unstoppable. That word great is used six times here in the text. And it's surprising because the world does not expect it. They didn't think it would happen so quickly. It's kind of like, and I used this last week, but it's kind of like the Titanic. This, this image right here from 1912, it's hard to read. I tried to make it bigger. Sorry if you can't see it. But in 1912, the Titanic was said to be the unstoppable, unsinkable ship. In fact, a historical quote that's gone down in infamy from the vice president, Philip Martin, Franklin, excuse me, said this. He said, quote, there is no danger that the Titanic will sink. The boat is unsinkable. Well, 122 years later, we know what the end of that story came to be, didn't we? So friends, so the judgment in Revelation chapter 18 is going to be surprising. The world will think it will never happen. The world will say it could never be. And the world will think this could never be what the Lord will do. May I remind you then what Nahum, one of those little prophets said, He said, the Lord is an avenging God. He's slow to anger and great in power, and he will by no means clear the guilty. Friends, the takeaway from this is that throughout Scripture, God's wrath is certain and slow. It is certain and slow, but we don't presume, we don't presume that there is no judgment, and we don't despair that there is no mercy. If you're not a Christian here today, there is still time to trust Christ. There is still time to say, Lord Jesus, you are my Lord. Let me come to you. I mean, how many cities, countries, civilizations, or, 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 or all those things have fallen into the history books? I've watched a documentary recently about the last days of World War II and how even to the very last, Hitler, delusional as he was, would say, we're still going to win this war. We're still going to win this war. Because they're literally a half a kilometer, like a, a lap and a half around the track-ish, right at his doorstep. Friends, God's wrath is certain and slow. It seems like it's not going to right every wrong. It seems like it will never happen. But just as it will surprise unbelievers, you need to be reminded as a believer, it is going to come. God is going to judge this world, and he's going to set it all right. And the system which seems so secure and immovable will be invaded by the God of heaven. It is surprising. And this world will say, I never knew this was going to happen. But every time someone shares the gospel with a non-Christian, That'll be an evidence against them on judgment day. For God will hold them accountable for what he told them here. So the judgment in Revelation 18 is surprising. I want you to notice, secondly, it is swift. It is swift. One thing that made the ancient Babylon city so stunning was how quickly in a single night it was taken away. Well, the same will be said about when Jesus comes back. It'll happen suddenly. It's been happening for a while, but it'll happen suddenly. Notice in an instant what God does. Look, And we're going to be hop, skipping, and jumping around, but look at verse 8. It says, her plagues, verse 18, referring to Babylon, her plagues will come in a single what? A single day. Do you see that there? Look at verse 10. Alas, the great city, for in a single hour your judgment has come. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 says the same thing. It says, in a single hour hour she has been laid waste. Is this a literal hour, pastor, or is this symbolic hour? I think it's more speaking symbolically, but the point of it is it will surprise, it will be swift, it will come on the heels of all this. And I don't know about you, as I look at images like this from our great city, many of you know if you go up on uh, Kessler Hill, when we ran the marathon, they used to take us up Kessler Hill and everyone complained, so they moved that away. But if you go up the big hill from Union Station to the top of World War I, Uh, the Liberty Memorial, and you look out, isn't it, it's beautiful. 
Everyone takes prom pictures there, engagement pictures there. It's just a beautiful skyline, a beautiful place. And we have to remind ourselves that someday, these things that look so permanent will be gone in an instant. It will happen swiftly. And friends, that is scary for us, not in the, or scary for the world, not for us, because we think that we are secure here, but we are secure as bubbles floating through a field of thorns. It will fall. Our lives are this way. Friends, we have never been this close to the return of Christ. We've never been this close to the return of Jesus Christ. And we pray with John, come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray with him, come, Lord Jesus, come. Friends, the, the 1 Thessalonians 5 says, the day the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Amy, if you want to put up that next slide, it'd be great. But friends, what we have never been this close you say, Darren, when is it going to happen? We don't know, and I'm not going to presume to, to say when Christ is going to return. He said well, he doesn't know the day or the hour. But we do need to know that we have never been closer. Every day we're alive is a closer step to heaven. And I hope you are encouraged by that. Hope you're excited by that. Hope you're excited mostly to worship the Lord Jesus, but more so that he's going to set all things right. When we are going to see the greatest army ever assembled in Revelation 20, we'll be there in a couple weeks, the judgment that's coming upon the world will be so swift that even if it's literal or symbolic, but the point of it is, even if the whole world amassed itself against God, it would just be like him blowing one of those dandelions that's popping up in our yard. You know what I'm talking about? Those white ones? And they're gone. You can't do anything to stop God and his power. And church, that should be a great encouragement for us. Whatever witnessing you're doing, whatever discipling you're doing, whatever you're doing in the name of the Lord, if God's in it, God will see it through. He will see people through it. He'll see you through it. He can take you to it because he is all powerful. Don't forget that. We don't worship a God of Kansas City. We worship a God of all gods, the Lord of all lords. But the judgment that he brings will be swift. It will be surprising. But I want you to know, thirdly, it is also going to be very, very sorrowful. Will you look down at verse 9? Verse 9 tells you in chapter 18 about three groups of people. Verse 9 talks about the kings of the earth. Verse 11, I'll read these in a moment, talks about the merchants. And verse 17 talks about the shipmasters or the ship captains, depending on your translations. As the world crumbles, these three groups are weeping. Why are they weeping? Why are they crying? Are they crying because they've offended God? No, they're crying because they don't have their toys and their luxuries to play with anymore. Look at verse 9. The kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her, speaking of Babylon, when they see the smoke of her burning. Remember, Babylon here could be a physical city. It's probably just representative of all the evil systems of the world. Verse 11, merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one is there to buy their cargo anymore. All the shipmasters, verse 17, and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade on the sea stood far off, cried as they saw the smoke, saying, what city was like this? And they threw dust on their heads, and they wept and mourned, crying, alas, the great city where all the ships had grew rich by her wealth. The point of it is, as judgment falls down, the crying starts rising up. Sounds like every parent giving the sentence to their kid, right, as they go through. But why is the world weeping? It, 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 they're not weeping because they've seen their sin and offended a holy God. They're not weeping because they realize that he's blessing them and they need to bless him. 
They're not weeping because they used and abused and manipulated God's resources. They're weeping because they can't enjoy their sin anymore. We can't get rich any longer. You know, it's been almost four years ago. Seems like an eternity ago. Four years ago, this coming weekend, is when the cities around the nation started shutting down for COVID. Some still have restrictions, and I'm not here to debate where you believe in masks or no masks. That's, uh, may we have better gospel wisdom in how we handle ourselves among ourselves with those issues going forward. But my point that I want to make is that time showed what our true comforts were. When I remember, I don't know where we were. I remember, well, I remember where I was. We were at Dollar Tree because our kids were at school. And I remember thinking the last, and this is a true thing, there was an old lady, there was me, and I know my manners. There's one thing of toilet paper left. <laughs> Do you remember the toilet paper crisis of the early COVID years? Guys were selling it online for like $5,000 a roll. And I remember this lady at Dollar Tree in Independence off 39th Street, and she could not reach it. And I did, I, I'm not, this is not about me winning, but I remember giving her that toilet paper roll and thinking, I may never see this again. <laughs> My comforts are being stripped away from me, and I don't want to use a pine cone or whatever else we have in our backyard. The comforts are going away. But do you remember those times? Then the basketball, all the betters in Las Vegas. March Madness had just started, and all those who had their brackets out were sad. In the baseball season, we really saw where our comforts were. And if you read this with me, and I'm not going to, well, actually, look at verse 12. We have a few extra minutes here. Look at verse 12. Look at all the comforts that they're crying over there. Verse 12 Notice there are 29 separate things listed here that they are crying that the world is going to miss because Babylon, the evil system, has gone away. Actually, I'll start in verse 11. The merchants of the earth weep and mourn since no one buys their cargo. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, slaves, that is human souls. Whew. This world hates because their very source of income, their very source of identity has gone out the window. Christian, I'm going to remind you today, your identity is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. The stuff of this world does not define you. Jesus said you could have the whole world, yet forfeit your soul. What have you gained? I want you to see that, the fruit of their labor. But what does this mean for us? It means that the pleasure of sin is for a season. But there is joy to make John Piper happy. There is joy in heaven forever. If you know Piper, you know what I mean. We love that guy. But there is pleasure in sin for a season. They longed for the food, the fashion, the power, the prestige, the control, the comfort, everything this world offered. But may I remind you what Hebrews 11 said, and we were here about a year ago in Hebrews as we studied through. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth of treasures of Egypt, for by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. And by faith he endured as seeing him who's invisible. He did not trust the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season. Look, someone says in a moment sin satisfies, it does. But how much more? One more dollar? One more click? One more thrill? Oh, the next relationship will be better. I'll be more, I'll be complete when I get, meet that person. The one more 
thing. There, there's a famous runner, the famous uh, guy on roids who runs faster than I did, uh, and he always says, one more mile, just go one more mile. One more glass of wine. What is it? Look, we've got to understand, we want the blessings without the blesser. Friends, that's called idolatry. And this world's idols are being taken away, and they hate it. Do you remember how people reacted when the world shut down? Oh, they hated it. I'm not saying that was right or wrong. I'm not a politician. I'm not getting in those waters today. But what I will say is, is that 1 Corinthians 10.31 reminds us that whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. It does not mean that you cannot have sweet stuff, great stuff, nice stuff, but it does mean are you using that stuff, whatever that is, for the glory of God? Or are you holding it sorrowfully if God were to take it away? Reminds you of Jonah, doesn't it? Jonah chapter 4, he tells the city to repent. By God's grace, the city of Nineveh repents, and then Jonah gets up on a hill waiting for the fireworks to go down, and he's ready for God to give him that judgment. And God takes away his comforts. He takes away all these things, and he asks him, why are you mad? And he doesn't really ever give him an answer, except that it's all about him. Friends, this life is not about us. It's about him. But aren't you grateful he includes us with him in this life? That's a great change. But if we're sorrowful over the things of the world, we've got to mistrust hope. This world is going to go that way. I want you to see number four. This world is not only sorrowful, they're not only missing the point of all those things, but they are also surprised that the swift judgment has come. But this judgment is sound. Sound. It is, in other words, it's correct. It is true. It is right. One day when Christ returns, it will be deserved. Look at chapter, uh, chapter 18, verse 5. Chapter 18, verse 5, it says, For her sins, Babylon's sins, are heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities or sins, depending on your translation. This is the image we must ask, is, is God is stacking their sins one upon another. It's, it, it's not like a Jenga puzzle. You remember that game Jenga, where if you pull the wrong brick, you lose the game and everything comes crashing down? No, God's a firm foundation. He accounts for every sin, and he's building on it and building on it and building on it. Uh, the people are stacking up their sins. You can think of some examples from the Old Testament, can't you? Tower of Babel. They wanted to build their own tower, do their own thing, and they stacked up to the high heavens, and God had to come and, 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 and demystify uh, their pride. Jeremiah 51.9 says the judgment has reached up to heaven. It's like he's saying there's a Mount Everest of sin, and these people are a part of it. But the judgment is sound. He's heard all their immoralities. He's heard all their blasphemies. He's heard everything they've done against the holy name of God. But he knows everything. He knows every deleted message. He knows every shredded file. He knows everything. This really shows my age. I was in high school when this happened. Many of you don't remember this name, but the big energy company in Texas called Enron. Enron. There was a, a big power company down there. I don't even remember what they got in trouble for. But one thing they were remembered for is they tried to shred all their documents before all the people got there. They started burning things. They started going out in the, do, literally doing dumpster fires out in the back parking lot so they would not be caught. The Nazis did that too, trying to burn every file of every concentration camp. It doesn't matter what you burn. God sees all and he knows all. He beholds the evil and the good. And friends, we need to know that this judgment that is coming is very, very sound. He has been good to them. It's so sound. Look at verse 24, chapter 18. And in her, in Babylon, was found the blood of the prophets and saints and all those who've been slain on the earth. 
This judgment's not only sound because they go against God's character, but he's going against, once again, this evil system against God's own people. Look, we are sucking in mercy right now. God is not being fair to the world. He is being merciful to the world. If you are still breathing, God is still showing you mercy. If you are still here, God is still giving you grace. But God says there's a day coming when he will be fair and he will be just. Go back to verse 6, chapter 18, verse 6. He says, pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds, and mix in a double portion for her in the cup that is mixed. What, what, why is she getting double? That's an Old Testament phrase that just means she's getting what she deserves. It's full. It's complete. Uh, God has a matching fund. Some of you have employers who give, hey, if you give your 401k with this, we'll match it over here. Well, guess what? You give your sins to God in, in sinfulness, God will match it in righteousness judgment. Just like that. There's absolutely nothing here that God is saying. You fill up the cup and I'll fill it up double. Christian, I want you to know that there is absolutely nothing unchristian about longing for justice. This world, we had a shooting in North Kansas City just down the road last night. We had the Chiefs parade. There are names and faces that die. We had over 170 people killed with gun violence in our city this last year. There's nothing wrong as, a, as Christians, as Northland, mostly white, middle-class Christians even, to saying, this is not right. My bones ache for justice. You should pray for that. This world should make you shake for the justice that only God can provide because his judgment is sound, and all humanity wants this judgment. Friends, this judgment should bring comfort to you because God's justice is good. It is good. May I remind you that we do not take things into our own hands. Romans 12, 19, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Vengeance is mine. Friends, we live in this world where we want to take action, and there is a rightful action. Romans 13 says, if you go against the very government God has set up, there should be punishment for those sins. But if you're a Christian and you feel uneasy in this world about the justice of this world, you are feeling exactly what you should feel. But friends, we should take comfort in knowing that God will right our wrongs, but we should also take caution because God's judgment will come against everyone. Whether you're Buddhist or Baptist, whether you are atheist or Anglican, whatever you are, God's judgment, rich, poor, it's coming. It's sound. There's comfort in it. There's also caution in it. And we need to be reminded of that. You say, Christ, you say Darren, I'm a Christian. What will happen to me? I did not print any out, but if you go to our website, under our blog, we, we posted about this week, 10 things that you'll be judged for on Judgment Day as a Christian. But here's the silver lining. He will never let you go. Whatever judgment he brings on you has already been satisfied in Christ. Amen? But he will judge your wor works and everything here. Say, so Darren, this is a heavy point. It is a heavy point. But I want you to know that there is coming a day that Christ is going to do this. And our job, Christian, is to not moralize the country. Our job is to gospelize the country. Do you catch that subtle difference? We want to teach our kids and this culture what is right and what is wrong. But the law kills, but grace revives the soul. We need to show people what is right and what is wrong, but it should be centered on Jesus Christ. So often, even in our own Baptist history, we have gotten people to be good church-going people that check all the right boxes, that say the right things, but in their hearts, they know not the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need the gospel as a foundation for everything we do, the gospel above all. Friends, I can teach someone what is right and what is wrong, but if I don't teach them that it means 
The right is to glorify God, and the wrong is a sin against him. If there's no gospel, we are just legalists in grace-filled clothes. Be careful. And I want to be absolutely clear here, friends. When it talks about the judgment that's being sound, this is on every nation. We are not a Christian nation, church friends, family. There may be a time that God has been a great blessing for us, and there's been a time when people here at certain times dabbled into things. doesn't mean we don't have great freedom. There's great stewardship that comes with freedom, isn't there? But our history is stained with not just goods. But did you notice what verse 13 said? Don't, please don't whitewash this. And not, I'm not woke. I'm not trying to be woke. And this is not a woke sermon. But I want you to know, even in our own history, look at verse 13. They traded slaves. And your Bible should have a very clear note there. Human lives. Friends, we did that. And that's been forgiven. And we can be forgiven in all this. But what's your point, Darren? My point is this. Just because we have these great freedoms does not mean we are any more of a Christian nation than anyone else. We as America have been tempted and are part of this great system Babylon like anyone else. But friends, if we share the gospel more and we continue to preach the gospel more and more and more, then we can trust God with those results to turn back a nation that's long since turned their back on him. I don't know. I'm not post-millennial if some of you are thinking that. But the point of it is, is this judgment is sound. It is so sound that God himself says it is going to happen. That's number four, longest point. But number five is this. Judgment is surprising. It's swift. It's sorrowful. It's sound. It's correct. But I want you to go down to verses 21 and 23 to see that it is also sweeping. It is sweeping. In other words, there's no place that escapes this judgment. It's complete. Look at verse 21. He says, Then a great mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence, and will be no more. And the sounds of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will be heard no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. Notice that repeated phrase. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of the lamp will shine no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you. Church, what is it? No more. For the merchants were great, and one of the earth's, and uh, ones of the earth, and all the nations will be deceived by your sorcery. Did you notice how the angel on behalf of God is speaking? He's speaking here about rebellion. He's speaking here about the, the, the sweeping judgment that's coming. But it starts with one of those millstones. You remember that language, don't you, in Scripture? Matthew 18, 6, Jesus said, if any one of you causes these little ones to stumble, it would be, it'd be worse than if a millstone, and he goes into the sea, Babylon has taken a millstone, which was a big 3,000-pound circular rock, and they've wrapped it around all those who want to be a part of them. And guess what? They're going to take you with them down to the, down to the earth. But it shall be no more. This is why uh, Edwin Lutzer, out of uh, College Church in Moody Bible area, had this to say. Be on your notes. He said, never interpret the silence of God as the indifference of God. Let me say that again. Never interpret the silence of God as the indifference of God. Some people think that the problem is is that God's not going to do this, surely. No, it's coming. It's sweeping every sector from the arts to the crafts to the merchants to the stay-at-home people. It's coming. And if there is not a God who makes music and design marriage and all this, he has made those things. 
But those things have become an idol for so many people. We can make an idol out of anything. He's saying no more it will come. It's not going to happen anymore. Just because it seems like God is not working, is not judging, is not bringing, friends, it is happening. The heavens declare the glories of God and the works are his handiwork. Even looking across this world, everyone is held accountable. That's why if you're not a Christian here today, you need to know that you've sinned. You need to know that Jesus died for your sins perfectly, wholly, completely. And on that cross, he received the wrath of God that you should have received. And on that cross, he said, it is finished. And that is the only way to get to heaven is to trust by faith and faith in him alone. That's it. If you know that truth, even when the music stops, literally, even when the tradesmen stop, literally, you can know that God is on your side because you have trusted in the one who came to die for us that weren't on his side, rebels. And so, friends, in these verses, you see six, no more, no more, no more, no more, no more, no more. No more. The judgment is complete. And so, friends, what does this mean? It means that eventually, eventually, this is going to happen. No one is exempt. Well, what about those people, pastor, in a country far, far away who've never heard the gospel? They look around. They have enough evidence, Romans 1 says, to condemn them because the heavens declare the glory of God. Creation testifies and cries out. Didn't Jesus say that? If you won't cry out, I'll make these very rocks over here cry out. So it's going to be sweeping. Let's end with this. And I want you to know, I use this word intentionally, and I want to speak to something. If you're on Facebook, you're Facebook friends with me. I gave a little bit of a hint to this last night or yesterday. But judgment is surprising. It is swift. It's sorrowful. It's sound. It's sweeping. But it's also savoring. Savoring. Look at verse 20, chapter 18. This is speaking to Christians, to those who are on the winning side. Look at verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints. Are you a saint? Wait, you didn't do three miracles and you haven't been canonized yet, have you? And voted on by a council? No. Bless our Catholic friends, that's not a saint. A saint is anyone who is trusted in Jesus Christ. So he calls out the heavens. Rejoice over who? Babylon, heaven, saints, and apostles, and prophets. For what has God done? God has given Judgment for you against her. Now, I want to walk with a little bit of humility here, I pray. I want you to, to hear what I'm about to say. But if you feel uncomfortable with the thought of rejoicing when countless others are judged, you should feel the weight of that. And this is where we must plead with God and ask him to give us the trust that what he just said is going to come true. Look, I can assure you when we see God for who he is and our sin for what it is, but what Christ and his love did for us, we are going to rejoice just like this. Friends, we will praise him for his justice because it is proven to be good. Would you go down to chapter 19? I want to read verses 1 to 5 with you about what's going to happen. Chapter 19 says, After this, John said, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice crying out in heaven. Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just. He's judged the great prostitute. He's corrupted the earth with her immorality. He's avenged on her the blood of his saints and servants. Once more they cried out, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. 
And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped. And God, who was seated on the throne, said, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you servants, you who fear him, small and great. You must plead that God would help you feel about hell the same way he feels about it. Let me read that again. You must plead that God would help you feel about hell the same way in judgment that he feels about it. He does not delight, Ezekiel says over and over and over again, in the death of the wicked. But he is a God that gave us a son. He will be honored. He deserves to be honored. And it will happen. And when we see him, we will understand why they're singing in Revelation 19. I don't want you walking out of here saying that pastor just said we should rejoice when someone goes to hell. But in a sense, that isn't what I'm saying. Friends, because this world has been given time and time and time again. We will rejoice when Babylon is thrown into hell. But friends, may we do what Spurgeon said, that great Baptist preacher of years gone by. May we weep over every dead body on their way to hell. We need that. Friends, this ought, to, this ought to energize our evangelism. It ought to put a pep and a step of our proclaiming the gospel. It's heavy. But if you say, I don't believe my God would do that, then you don't believe in the God of the scriptures. I'm not saying this shouldn't break your heart. It should. But I'm also saying when we see through his eyes as he sees through his eyes, as God's eyes, we will rejoice because he has set and celebrate everything right as it should be. Two things as we close. Very simple lessons. Amy, if you just want to put them both up for sake of time. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, you need to flee to him. Judgment is coming. Yeah, I'm one of those pastors. We believe it's actually going to happen. We believe it's actually coming. We believe there's actually a God who said he's going to do it and he's going to bring it to bear. That's it. If you're here today, you honestly don't know if you died tonight, tomorrow, if you had a heart attack, the Royals won the World Series in October, November time, that'd cause me to die. Whatever you have, if you died tonight, you're absolutely not 100% sure that you would go to heaven. This is the day. We're not going to make you pray a prayer, walk an aisle, sign a card, sign your Bible so that when Satan attacks you, you can know the date and time and tell him I came to Christ. No, not going to do those old Southern Baptist parlor tricks but we are going to tell you that you need to flee to Jesus Christ. How do you get saved? You cast yourself on Jesus like a person jumping out of a plane would hold on to a parachute. You trust that he and him alone can save you from all your sin. There's no church that can do that. There's no pastor that can do that. There's no priest that can do that. Only Christ can do that. He's the God-man. He rose from the dead. He's sufficient. He's able. That is the way to heaven. If you have questions about that, come talk to us. We're not going to beat you over the head. We'll set a time to talk, but we want you to know that. But if you're a Christian, you need to do exactly what Revelation 18 said, come out of this world. What is it in your life, my life, our church's congregation that is one foot in the world and one foot in Jesus? I don't know. That's going to be a very personal question for you. Your sin may not be my sin, but we all sin. What is it that's holding you back in your world, your life, your family, your faith walk right now that is keeping you away from experiencing the best that God has for you? And let me tell you, it's a lot better than what this world offers. Amen? Church, you need to be praying often 
We are a church that practices discipline, church discipline, in the most severe, formal of cases at times. But you need to also pray for those times as we walk around to each other. You know, church discipline isn't always a formal vote of the church to see people out the door. That's biblical, Matthew 18. It's a whole other topic another time. But do you know that discipline and growth in Christ often happens just the one-to-one that we, we do here? Hey, brother, I'm praying for you that you would walk, not in temptation this week, but you'd walk in godliness. All right, brother, I saw this in your life. Sister, I saw this in your life. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to judge you, but I just would you, would you pray about this? I'm not sure it's leading the right way. When we seek to grow with each other in godliness and holiness, we're, in a sense, disciplining one another to come out of this world to walk as Christ would have us walk. But I want you to pray to our members, especially for our church. If there's any unconfessed sin in our church, there's any hidden sin in our church, if there's, as we say at the Lord's Supper, any beef within it, doing this with each other, disunity when we pray for unity, any gossip, anything that would separate us out to the world and not Christ, may God sift it out in our presence. That's why I love our church so much, because we do take that seriously. We're not perfect in it, but we do take it because we love each other seriously. A lot of hugs going around. Now there's a lot of buffets too, a lot of Baptist things, but there's a lot of good, purposeful discipleship here. Our ladies talked about that on Thursday night over, of all things, a potato bar, which I heard was great, by the way. Praise the Lord. But I just want you to pray, Lord, what is it in this world that is taking me away from you? Tina, I had it in my notes, but you're up front, and you are my music thing. The Gaither song. You could, yeah, I forgot it. Forget it. We'll sing it another time. Will you pray with me as we close? Guys, we love you all so much. I know this is a heavy chapter. I know these are tough words. May God give us wisdom. Let's go before him and pray as we close out today. Father, we thank you that if everything were stripped away, that our hard hearts would say alongside every saint in Revelation 18 and 19 and all the other chapters we've studied that your, your judgments are just and true. But Father, we ache because we often see our own sin and we think, well, how could we rejoice in that way? Because Father, we thank you that we're complete in you. We thank you someday what we now see by faith, we will fully see by sight. But Father, as we muddle our way through this world, seeing injustices all around us, from situations in our own lives to things on the news to things around the world, that you would help us to pray as John prayed for you to come quickly, that, Lord, we would also pray that we would, as Christians, stand out from the world, not in just some uh, moralistic way, although that's part of it, but they would know us by our fruits, the things that you've made in us, Father. They would know us by the truth we stand on, not just for the things we oppose. Father, that you would help each of us as Christians to take seriously sin because you seriously took it seriously on that cross so many years ago, Lord. Father, whatever it is that's keeping us from being fully given to you, may you bring that to our minds now or through the week. Maybe some, even in this room, have seen or been uh, led by your Spirit, prompted by your Spirit to confess that, but have held on to it. Father, take Babylon out of us. You have, we stand complete in Christ. But the temptations, the flavors of this world, the smells of this world, as it were, are around us. Father, take those things away from our church. We'll never be a perfect church, and if we found one, we'd, we'd stay in it, we know, Lord. But Father, help us. I pray that, not that we would be holier than thou's, but we would be holy unto thee. That's our prayer this morning. Father, we thank you that you win, that through all the crazy mess that we just read about, that's still to come,
you win. Father, we rejoice. We love you. We pray all this today in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen.